0: Architect Exam Prep, Programming and Analysis, The Audio Commentary. Hello, hello, and welcome to The Audio Commentary for Programming and Analysis, PA. I'm joined with our co-host today, Eric Corey Freed. Eric, how are you? I'm great. I love programming, so I can't wait to get dive into this. Eric loves programming. And he loves these audio commentaries, so it's the perfect match made in heaven. And programming analysis is—it's uh, an important uh, division. It's an important topic. And contrary to one of my instructors taught me in the early '90s in the BAC or the mid '90s, we had this programming class, and it was just so foreign because uh, we had never done anything like that before, because in architecture school, you just design, design, design. Uh, so programming was a really new concept, and we had to actually go out and do a bunch of research and all of that stuff. Uh, full circle 20 years later, I think I understand it now. So here we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I um, When I went to school in the, um,
1: also in the uh, 80s and 90s, um, uh, many of my professors were, um, kind of the pioneers of the programming movement in the, that really started in the 70s. And so they really taught me this uh, fondness and affection and love for programming. In other words, analyze the problem, analyze the site, study your clients, use that to shape your, your design solution and do that first before anything else. And that's really kind of the spirit of the programming and analysis division in the first place. Oh, so you really do love programming? I really do. I'm not. I was not kidding about that. I, I, really, I love how color affects the mood of a room. I love how you um, um, study the clients to to really uncover new needs and new problems. And um, you know, I also love that you don't have to deal with things, you know, boring, icky things like contracts, for instance, here, or uh, field reports or change orders. I mean, to me, programming is is really the fueling the heart of design. You know, design is about constraints and solving problems. It starts with a with a robust programming package.
0: It does, and I was just thinking if we could sum up um, programming in one word, I guess I'll pick one. I would just say understanding.
1: Yes, that's great. Yeah, I would totally, uh, totally agree with that. And the, the only other second word could be observation.
0: Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, understanding and observing so we can kind of figure out what the problem is uh, and listening to the needs of the clients. And, and then only from that, then can we actually really start working uh, on the design. So here with uh, programming and analysis, I'm looking at the NCARB uh, 5.0 handbook. Uh, there are 95 items on the exam related to programming and analysis. The test duration is three hours and 15 minutes and there are four modules in uh, this section or in this division. Section 1 is Environmental and Contextual Conditions. Section 2 is Code and Regulations. Section 3 is Site Analysis and Programming. And Section 4 is Building Analysis uh, and Programming. Uh, Eric, where should we start here before we jump into Module 1? Or or maybe uh, do we want to talk about the case study first? So
1: what we've, what we've put together um, is we, we came up with this idea for a case study, the idea of a typified project. Now the, um, you know, in, in some cases, the project's deliberately designed to be generic to truly really help you apply the knowledge in the broadest sense. But we came up with a case study, and it's a town hall. And the way we evolved it was we gave you a full program. We showed you all the spaces the client's asking for, with a range of square footages for each. What are the adjacencies the client is asking for? What are the special requirements? So you get to see right off
0: the bat a full program. Now, um, in studying Actually, this, let me let me stop you right there. Uh, so a full po- uh, a full program. <laughs> it's not a design solution. I just want to make sure we understand what programming is. It, no. It's not a solution. No,
1: very much. Ed, no, it's it's not a design solution. It is a it is a list of the of the spaces that the client um, requires and then potentially would desire. So, what are the, what are the things they must have? What are the things that would be nice to have? And that's listed in the case study, and we put it right up front in the document. It really sets the tone for the rest of the division.
0: Are we designing in programming? Are we doing design?
1: Well, that starts to get into semantics of, how you, think of um, how you think of the design process. But I think of it as designing because you're really helping shape the problem that you're, you're solving. But no, you're not designing a building. You're really designing a set of adjacencies and relationships.
0: Okay, so in programming, we're really uh, figuring out what the problem is, and we are uh, essentially constructing adjacencies and relationships trying to figure out how different spaces and uses relate to each other. Uh, but in the in the sense that we know of, we're not really designing at that point. That really starts with schematic design.
1: That really does start with schematic design. And specifically, as related to the ARE and the NCARM divisions, um, that really starts with project planning and design, the PPD section, which is a whole other division.
0: So then I'm, I'm already thinking here, if if I know programming is not actual design, and we start with schematic design. It just common sense would lead me to believe: the better our program is, the more thorough and more thought out our program is. That's going to lead to a richer uh, and a deeper uh, design in the schematic design phase, right?
1: Absolutely. It's also it's also means that if you if you don't observe something correctly or you don't listen to your client correctly or you don't ask the right questions, you could you could essentially paint yourself into a corner where you're when you get into schematic design, where you're creating something that does not fit their needs and and they're gonna push back on it. And so really to me it's a proofing test. Programming is really about I'm gonna observe these behaviors, I'm gonna interview the clients and and so what we do is we lay out a sample program and then we even mapped out here the way the here are the information gathering methods that we use to do this whether it was in-person interviews with key staff whether it was uh, meeting with the building operations staff for an existing building uh, researching relevant case studies of other similar building types or really just observing if you have an existing building that's going to be replaced how are they using it how is it working? How is it not working? What are the things that they do like about it? What, are the, what drives them mad about it? And really documenting all this and turning it into a programming document. And so we started with our case study with here are the methods we used and here's the programming document. And then we even get into starting to you know do uh, very simple bubble diagrams of the site.
0: And uh, so what we're doing here is we're information gathering. We're observing yes. and we're information gathering. And then
1: by, by including these bubble diagrams, you're seeing how we're applying these observations that we've, that we've collected and applying them to the site plan and starting to apply them to the site itself and how in the bubble diagram, it's really starts to relate. And then what we've done that I think is really helpful to you, um, is that we've taken our bubble diagrams and then we've noted them up to show, to show you the thinking that went into them based on this program. So that's how we start the division. With here are the bubble diagrams. Here's the thinking that went into it. Here's the program we used to develop this. And then, as you go through the divisions, you can keep referring back to this to this case study.
0: And is the case study uh, appearing throughout the guide, or is it usually is it in module one? We in this case we put the, we put it in module one. We then
1: revisit it at the end when we talk about um, other case studies. And then we even inc- we even created. Um, I like how I'm talking about this like you don't know because <laughs> you, you helped me with it, <laughs> but you and I even then created <clears throat> uh, incorrect bubble diagrams to show how they these did not respond to the program or why these are not right. So that way you can see a correct one and then an incorrect one. It almost harkens back to the old days, um, you know, in 4.0, when we used to have vignettes on the exam. Remember those good old days? Right. So we did a little bit of that, and um, I think what it does is it creates a very powerful baseline. So that way, as we talk about all this knowledge, these case studies are kind of the embodiment of
0: that. So in program, we can, uh, we're information gathering, we're researching, we're, ob- we're observing, and we're understanding. But we are also, while still in program, programming, using that information to create bubble diagrams, to create adjacencies, so we can start to understand the relationships. Again, we're not really designing anything but we're trying to understand what we just understood kind of thing.
1: Exactly. The 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 best way to think about it, and we do have this in the guide, is that if design is problem-solving, then programming is
0: problem-seeking. That's really the best way to think of it. That's a perfect way to think about it, yeah. Thank you. Thank, yeah, that was very good. Uh, and this is all uh, programming is its own... Um, uh, Phase, it's the B202, the AIA, the B202. It's not part of our basic scope of services, which is our five standard services. So just as a side note, keep that in mind. Uh, as a side note while I'm thinking about it, reviewing, well, it, when we start schematic design, or, or I should say when we start our basic scope of services, which is the B101, where we start schematic design, uh, the owner or a client will give us a program that they either had somebody else produce or they hired somebody else to do it or they would hire us to do the program. But we have the program before we start our schematic design. Now, when we begin our schematic design, part of our basic scope of services, if the owner gives us a program, is that we review that program and we give feedback on that. That is part of our basic scope of services is to review the program that the owner uh, gives us. So just uh, wanted to point that out while I'm thinking about it. So, all right. Let's jump into module one here. We're environmental and contextual conditions. So, it's it's site conditions, it's site constraints, it's sustainability. It's really big picture, uh, the bigger picture items, I guess, of what's going on in the site and what's going on with our potential program.
1: Right. And so, what we've done is we've um, we've taken we've taken the various um, large buckets you'd want to look at: climate, topography. Um, geotechnical issues, utility issues, culture, history, regulatory issues. And we've broken it out into these gorgeous color-coded charts. And then what are the different things you'd look at in each of those categories? So if you're thinking about topography, you'd look at topographic maps, you'd look at aerial photos, you'd look at the physical features. But then specifically, what would you look at? Well, we'd look at the contours, we'd look at the spot elevations, we'd look at the slopes. Where is it steep? Where is it not? What are the erosion channels? And then and then we explain why you would do that and how it affects each thing. So we go through all these site conditions and so it starts to really paint a picture in your head even if you haven't had a ton of experience doing programming, it paints a picture in your head of how programming is already starting to shape what we're, what we're solving for, what we're observing and, um, and really what we're, what we're measuring here.
0: And what's interesting about that is to remember during this programming phase, we're just researching and gathering information because oftentimes, you know, we'll make a site visit or we'll go to a potential site and we'll look at it and we'll say, oh, no, the, the rock outcropping, um, that's not in a great spot. We can't put the building there. We have to do something else. We're not really making those decisions during program. We're just observing, saying, OK, there's the, the rock outcropping. We're not making right. a decision of how it's already going to influence our design, which, I mean, we're guilty of that, you know, in the real world. Or if, you know, we don't have a programming phase. But part of programming is we're just documenting that rock outcropping. We're not making any determinations about it at that time.
1: No. And and in documenting the rock outcropping, remember, we're documenting where what is the, what is the extent of it. Where is it located dimensionally on the site? At what elevation is it? What color are the rocks? Um, do the rocks go below the soil? Would it be expensive to potentially remove it? You're not making those decisions if you're going to remove it, just uh, observing and collecting. Because remember... Programming is also more than just one one person. There is a project team. By collecting this information, this is information that would be potentially valuable to the structural engineer, the mechanical engineer, the staff, your staff that you're working with, and even back to your client. So, you know, it, it, that's the beauty of this problem-seeking method, and that's why, I, I really, I get so excited about it.
0: Well, what's great about it, too, is if we take the rock outcropping uh, as an example, um, if we're not making any decisions yet or any decisions about how we feel or, or what we think um all the possibilities are open to us but once we start to say oh i can't use that rock outcropping now we just cut down the possibilities just by a quick flip of our mind right well my
1: favorite programming story and this ties in perfectly to it is think of Frank Lloyd wright's falling water right it's it's 1933. The client has this property they love. They have this rock that they sun themselves on, where the the, the Bear Run Creek runs through and waterfalls down. And what they came to Mister Wright with was, we want a house over there that looks at this rock. He came to the site. He had he had incredibly detailed topography uh, drawn of the site, which, by the way, in, back in those days was very expensive as it would be today. Um, And he he thought for a minute, and then he said, actually, no, that rock is going to be your living room. The waterfall is going to go through the house, right? So the client came to them with the assumption, incorrect, that the house will go over there and stare over at the waterfall. And he said, no, the house will be of the waterfall. And so when he unveiled the drawings to the client, and this was now some months later after the client was getting impatient and agitated and all those other Frank Lloyd Wright stories you get to hear... The The client was um, delightfully surprised, but it started with this idea of detailed topography, detailed understanding of the site, spending a lot of time at the site, incorporating the colors of the site. The stonework in the site matches the stones that are found in the river. The boulders themselves are incorporated into the house itself, and then um, even the grout color that he used. Um, he took handfuls of soil from the local site as it was being excavated, mixed it in with the grout and with, and with the concrete, so it developed the color of the landscape. All of that started from a truly great um, programming process.
0: Well, and also before it was even programming, right? But also you said the, the word that caught my attention there was, you know, the client. the client assumed or the client came into this project with the assumption that it would go here. Uh, and that's what I was just talking about with programming. We don't want to assume anything because everything is open. As soon as we start to assume something, then we've just cut off other opportunities. And that, and then that it, actually, what is, that's what's great about the programming phase.
1: Yeah. And as, as they tell us in elementary school, when you assume it makes um, an ass out of you and me, right? That's what, remember that old thing? It's exactly <laughs> I'm still like telling that. telling people that actually. <laughs> well, we that's because you and I have kids. So we, we have to. We have to relearn all of the re- lessons of our childhood and teach them back again.
0: Um, okay, so then we, we get into the site. We're developing just really an understanding of the site here in Module 1. Uh, again, we're not making any design decisions. We're not making assumptions. We're just documenting what's there. Uh, exactly. And and, uh, and all of the opportunities are open to us, which, which is what's pretty cool about it. Uh, then we move into some site constraints. In uh, section 1.2, uh, we talk um, about some uh, runoff, which I think would is interesting, especially case studies, purposes of the exam. When we're talking about site stuff, uh, runoff is probably always going to be at the forefront, stormwater runoff. They're not going to want it to run off into a wetlands or a river, whether it's contained or some way to deal with it. So in any case, case study any kind of project scenario anything that's coming up on the exam uh how our site how our project affects the surrounding environment is always uh going to be important uh then we get into some more soil types and stuff there then we move into later in module one section 1.3 sustainability how is that really tying in or how do we tie sustainability in at this early programming phase
1: well at this point um we talk about sustainability in very general terms, right? So um, here we're looking at general sustainability principles, the idea of ecology. We have, a, you know, to, we give you some background on the history of sustainability. Um, we also give you kind of general principles of sustainable design. The idea is this would also shape your information gathering, your information collection. You know what are the t- what are the types of plants on the site? What are the colors of the site? Where's the wind coming from? Where are the sun angles coming from? Right? We know the sun's going to rise in the east and set in the west, but if this if this site is in Michigan, the sun's going to be much lower in the sky, and rate rise at a different angle than it would that if 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 this building is in let's say San Diego, simply because of latitude. So we start to get into all these ideas and how would you use these things? So these strategies would start to shape your information gathering, and. And even though, um, you know, some of these topics, remember, are, are covered in other divisions. But what we've done is we've taken these topics and we've phrased them to this phase that we're in, which in this case is programming.
0: So if I'm understanding this correctly, let's say somebody comes to you and, and they want uh, a sustainable building or a green building or an environmentally friendly building. Or we have somebody come to you let's say the same site and says, I don't care about the environment. I just want my building here. Um, is that this, are we doing the same kind of program for each of those cases or, or based on what we know the program gets shaped?
1: I would like to think that what, even if the client says, I hate the environment, right? I'm not interested in a green building at all. <laughs> these are still, these are still not based on trend factors. These are based on just, uh, environmental factors. So don't 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 confuse environmentalism with environment. Right? The environment is where is the sun, where is the wind, what is the solar orientation, what is your exposure. These things would drive things like window placement, placement of views. So what we do is we talk about all these things: indigenous materials, water tables, insulation value. Regardless of whether it's a quote-unquote green building, these are factors that would show how your design is responding to the climactic conditions and therefore what you'd want to measure in the programming phase.
0: So then by that, um, I guess, rationale, uh, depending on whether the client is one way or another, essentially it's the same program. There might be a slight bent uh, or maybe some additional information depending on somebody's specific interest, but the research gathering, all that stuff is still the same. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, and that's that's the beauty of programming. It doesn't discriminate.
1: No, unlike people, it doesn't discriminate. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, so then that's Module 1, Environmental and Contextual Conditions. Uh, moving into Module 2, Codes and Regulations. So there we get into the site and building codes, zoning and land use, and site requirements. Uh, what do we have to say about that? Other than that, these are very important, obviously.
1: Right, so... Here we touch we touch on the different architect's basic services, but we do not specifically get into contracts. We know that you're going to get into contracts when you get to the construction and evaluation phase, and the and the project and practice practice management phases. Um, so here we really focused on what are the services the architect's providing, um, and how does the architect address building codes and in the, in the programming phase. So we give you a little bit of what is the intent of the building codes. What is the difference between a building code and a zoning code? We give you some basic background on these zoning issues, but r- remember, only, f- only phrased in terms of how it affects you at the programming level, not into the details of you're in the midst of construction. Does this need to be a three-hour fire-rated wall or not? We, don't, we didn't really um, want to distract you with that. So how, do, how would you use something like ADA and accessibility guidelines in the programming phase when you're doing things like bubble diagramming? You know, am I leaving an accessible path? What is an accessible path? And am I leaving it through the spaces? So we're addressing these not only in the case study, but in the in the uh, in the content we're giving you itself.
0: And it's important to understand um, the the zoning, not that I want to say zoning is more important than the building uh, code at this point, but in some respects, maybe it is because the zoning, is the first thing that's really going to start to dictate the the shape of the building, based on our setbacks and any easements, um, any uh, setbacks higher up uh, in the building as we increase floors. Um, it's almost like the zoning is actually what dictates dictates the shape of the building.
1: Absolutely. And how many times how many times have you probably even worked on a project where an architect might mistakenly have a preconceived notion of what the building should be before they've really done a thorough program right and they and they find that oh what i've designed is actually can't be done because i've put it within the setback if you really if you really adhere to the principles of what programming is and why it's important you've already done a site analysis it already shows you what are the side yard rear yard front yard setbacks what's the maximum building height what is the floor area ratio allowed and so you have a very clear picture of what is already permissible to be built and what's appropriate to be built and then that should shape your design
0: yeah, and, and an example of this, you know, if we take it right down to the residential level, which we can all relate to that. But, you know, most of us who work in the residential world, oftentimes we're, you know, we're building to setback lines. We're talking single family, uh, you know, tight homes. I'm just like in L.A. area. Um, but oftentimes we're building right to the setback lines, especially the front and side yard setbacks. Rear, maybe not. Uh, and that's just a condition of, you know, the homeowner wanting to, you know, maximize uh, the the size of their building. And typically, well, I was going to say programming is not really done in that phase, but actually it is. It's not. I don't think it's as formal as we're talking about programming here, but it's certainly a conversation of listening to the client and the client describing their needs. So, yeah, I guess programming is still done um, even, I guess, in a rudimentary sort of way.
1: Absolutely. And if you
0: think about something
1: as important as the zoning code, which of course changes based on not just from city to city, but where you are in that city, right? Whether whether you're in a residential neighborhood, an industrial neighborhood, or commercial neighborhood. Um, zoning is going to affect you at the programming phase, at the schematic design phase, which comes up in in project planning and design division and project development documentation division as you move into design development, as you move into construction documents. Um, And then not so much once you're in construction and evaluation, because at that point, the building's already been permitted and it's already underway. So you'll start to see there's overlap throughout these sections, these divisions on purpose. But what we've done in the guide is we've really phrased it here on what you need to know in the programming phase.
0: And every program is going to be different. Every project is going to be different. And certainly, just as a side note, don't get lazy. And just because, you know, you did a similar house, for example, down the street, um, that you don't need to go to the planning department and find out what the setbacks are because you figure, well, they're the same two blocks away. Not necessarily the case, especially that front yard setback. That's always a tricky one. Uh, Sometimes it's 20 feet or a set number. Sometimes it's the average of the other houses on the street, uh, so you always got to do your homework, and and that is all. That's all part of programming.
1: Yeah, or sometimes there's a right of way e- or an easement through the property that is only on this property that you didn't know about. So you need to uncover these things early on. So, um, you know, uh, to me, this really starts to shape the you know everything else.
0: It does, and it it influences the design, and and this is. And I'm thinking now, residentially, that we actually do more programming than I, than I was just thinking about. But we do it not in a formal program. But, you know, we have projects where the first thing we have to do is go down to the planning department and find out what the setbacks are. Because this influences whether this project will even move forward or not. Um, where is the rear yard setback? We'll find out. We go find out. It's here. Come back to the client. They're like, oh, I didn't realize it was that deep. There's not room to do what I want to do. So we find that out very early on rather than being hired, doing drawings and all of that, and then only later realizing um, that we can't do the building we're designing. So, right. Yeah, that's all a form of programming. <clears throat> and and it,
1: it's, um, it's actually happened to me uh, many times in my practice where the client hires me to design a whole building. They have assumptions that, yeah, we want to do a four-story building. We want it to go all the way to the rear yard setback, and we want it to be this wide. And I tell them at the first meeting, listen, I haven't, obviously I haven't started yet. I don't, I don't know what the setbacks are, but I can already tell you probably won't be able to do that. Why don't we, why don't we do a, a, a programming exercise, hire me just for that bit and let's actually see what's possible. Exactly. And so whether it's a developer building condos or whether it's a person who just owns a house and wants to do an addition, um, we do this due diligence upfront, figure out, figure out what's uh, what's possible on the site and then I come back to them with a with a proper report um, I even had a good friend who lives in LA um, I won't mention any names but hired a local firm in LA uh, just to do that very thing to see what's possible they spent a whole lot of money designing a whole edition only to find out later that none of it was buildable wow. without a var- without a variance yeah it was kind of shocking um none of it complied to the setbacks none of it complied to the requirements none of it complied to the historical uh, provisions that are already in the neighborhood they just they just ignored all of that and so they they spent all this money doing almost full permit drawings for for a design that was unbuildable
0: so so what happened there not to cut you off but i guess to cut you off <laughs> uh, what happened there is the people who did the work didn't do a program and and i don't mean a formal programming document like you know, like we were just talking about in the residential world, um, I necessarily wouldn't do a full programming document or a formal one, but you're still doing your investigation. You're still doing your setbacks. That is all part of programming. Obviously, somebody didn't do that on that project in the very beginning,
1: right? And my friends were understandably upset. Yeah, and as and as they said, and this is very reasonable to say, they said, well, "We're not architects. We're not builders. We don't know any of these things. That's why we hired." you as professionals so then my friend called me and said listen i um i know you're not in la but can you help us with this so i had to look over their contract with their architect i had to look over the drawings i then prepared a report they got their attorneys involved i mean there was a whole thing and then the architect ended up uh, refunding most of the fees since I guess they wanted to fend off a lawsuit because the architect realized they also hadn't done their basic work and their basic due diligence. And so we cover a little bit of that here. We get into much more of it when we get into practice and project management, when we get into the legalities and the contract issues, of course, too.
0: Well, yeah. And what that is, and um, it's crazy, but then, you know, there's, there are bad architects out there just as there's bad lawyers and there are bad doctors. And you hear these stories and you'd be like, how can somebody be so stupid? It's just, it's, it is, but, so what that architect didn't do is they didn't uphold the level of standard of care, which is something we'll hear about in other divisions. But standard of care, it's a very important concept. Uh, it's used in uh, many professions. It's used in court of law. Um, standard of care is what any other competent architect would do in with that same given set of circumstances. So uh, an architect in this situation who is operating within a normal standard of care would have done their due diligence at the beginning of this project would have done essentially their programming or their mini programming by finding all this information out. And obviously, clearly this architect didn't.
1: Yes, exactly. And, um, ended up not
0: only costing
1: everybody money, but then, um, wasting a lot of time too. You know, they'd bought this house. They wanted to, um, they wanted to move into it. They had to keep renting. I mean, technically there were damages, but, in the end they ended up not suing. nobody sued anybody right. and they just kind of parted ways. But, you know, from my perspective, it also then shows, um, um, much more of that animus that you hear about people not liking architects
0: and contractors, you know, it's stories like that, that make that worse. That totally makes it worse. And they were definitely a licensed architect, huh? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's a shame. Yeah. That's a shame. That's a shame. Um, so, yeah, Module 2, codes and regulations, all of this stuff uh, is very important. If you haven't had the pleasure of going down to your local building department yet, or if you're, you know, your boss or your superiors haven't let you out of the office to do that stuff yet, um, try and do it. Try and tag along, ride their coattails, whatever you can do uh, to get down to your local planning department or building department to go on these sort of... Um, information gathering sessions uh it's really helpful and this is stuff you will use throughout your career and as we we're just talking about you know any new project i get first step i go is to the local planning department and and find out uh, you know find out for myself okay what are the setbacks what are all that is even if the owner was to give me something that they got from the city i will still go down and you know talk to talk to those people in person <laughs>
1: Yeah, very often you'll have owners very excitedly hear what they want to hear from the building department. And so they'll come to you and say, "Yeah, this is totally totally doable, totally fine." Okay, well, I'm just my first call is going to be is going to be to the building department or, you know, depending on the city, you could even go to the website, type in an address and immediately get a list of the setbacks too, thanks to the modern, you know, the marvels of modern technology. Um the other thing to do is is um just as a tip, is now that you know that programming is such a vital part of the process, start listening for those words. Even the meetings that you're in, you'll hear your boss or your principal of the, of the firm start to talk in those terms. Remember how you said you wanted this adjacent to this or this connected to this? So, that, so when they're presenting the design, they're doing that. And then all the way through construction documents, as changes are being made, you'll hear those words. No, we have to leave these next to each other because the client needs these connected or the client wants it to work like this. So programming is really persists throughout all the phases if you do your job right.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. It's not just a document that uh, we hand over at Schematic Design and then it just gets shoved in a filing cabinet somewhere. It's used through that whole process, um, even through construction documents for the exact reasons you stated. um, And also, you know, um, errors happen. People miss things. Wouldn't be uncommon to be in construction, client to show up and be like, "Well, why is that? Why did that room get moved?" You know, <laughs> that wasn't part of the program. That kind of language. Exactly. Um, okay, so that covers Module Two: Codes and Regulations. Then we move into Module Three: Site Analysis and Programming. Um, we talked about Module One: Environmental Contextual Conditions, which I think is more information uh, gathering at the site. But now, are we dialing this in here? What are we doing here with Module Three? Here,
1: we're we're really taking um, these considerations and applying them to the site, right? In Module Three, so um, what is the project site relative to the requirements that you've established in the program? Is is what you're proposing appropriate? Is it feasible? Um, how, do you, how do you take what you've just learned about climate, topography, drainage, soil, all those built-in natural features, and then, uh, and then really make those uh, relevant to the project, to the program itself? So here in Module 3 is where it's all starting to kind of come together.
0: Well, especially with our surveys, which is you know one of the probably most important documents we can uh, have drawn up at this phase. It's like, our, it's like the big picture of what's happening on the site exactly
1: but also um how how just the basic fundamental desires of shelter right how do you keep water out how do you keep the warm air in how do you control sunlight how do you control uh heat radiating outward um how do you control sound wind you know all the basic things that building needs to do how do these start to um, affect what you'd be measuring and observing in design um, but specifically to programming, how would, it, how would it start to influence what you'd be tracking, what you'd be asking about?
0: And we get a couple of your cool um, graphics in this module with your uh, example site and bubble diagrams, and then you get uh, a really a couple of cool uh, site photos with some views, because that's obviously part of a program, um, what our different views are are from the site. So that's all module three site analysis and programming and then finally we move into module four building analysis and programming. so we're we're, we're really dialing it down at this point is that what's happening
1: <laughs> well i, I do want to say one last thing about module three um, we do have all these great bubble diagrams and matrix ma- matrices in there I, I just wanted to note, just as kind of a behind the scenes dvd extra type of thing is that all of these uh, all the diagrams that that we included are real they're all real things from real projects and so what we've done is we've chosen we've kind of curated a selection of different ones so you can kind of see how different people do different do do them differently everything from doing the bubble diagram right on the existing floor plan and then you know colorating it with marker to um taking an aerial photo and then photoshopping things on top of it um i we really wanted to show off the um the array of different ways that you can present these things graphically
0: and that's actually what makes that programming process fun. It, it, it's, uh, every program is going to be different, but the, the tools and the skills that we might use from program to program will be different. And some of it might just depend on the client, the type of client we have, and the, the visual needs that, that they need. Exactly.
1: So, in, in for example, um, one, of the, one of the bubble diagrams we give is, is for a small exhibit space. And so, so there you get to see that it's an existing, is existing space, there's really nothing to bubble diagram per se, except the exhibits themselves. So it shows the procession of, here's where people walk in first, here's where, here's where they turn next, here, here's the order of the exhibits they see. And so you get to see how, and this was a real diagram for a real exhibit, um, you get to see how um, we get to use our graphic communication skills in order to convey these things to the client.
0: Well, what what we're doing is we're telling a story. Yes, right. And I mean, that's that's what we're doing. That's actually one way to look at this programming uh, phase. Is it's almost like a storytelling phase, I guess.
1: Absolutely. Um, we have another we have another diagram that's really solely about um, solar access. It's it shows Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco, um, and it shows where is the winter sunrise, the summer sunrise, winter sunset, summer sunset. Um, what are the other buildings around it? Where are the views that we want to see? What are the views we don't want to see? Right, It's all told graphically in this thing. We haven't designed anything yet because this happened very early in the process. But here, this starts to really set up those conversations. And so not only is the architect armed with all the information they need from the site to, to start the design process, but the client has then been um, properly prepared to know what are the constraints the architect's using to solve my my needs,
0: Well, and that's a good point, too, because what we're doing here is we are creating a story, we are telling a story, and we're communicating. It's not enough for us to just document this information. So for our own understanding, other people have to understand it. Uh, And oftentimes, you know, if, if we say the front yard setback is 20 feet and it's just in text, they may not know what that means what exactly does that mean so we show them or the different views Uh, a lot of this stuff it's helpful for us and it does uh, aid us but oftentimes it's just to tell our story so a lay person can understand it exactly okay in module four
1: we really um just as it all kind of came together in the site in module three and module four does that for the building
0: and so this is all still in the programming phase so um i guess it's almost like site programming and now we're dialing it into building program although there's no formal site programming or building program it's all just falls under uh programming uh but now we're getting into the building uh, analysis and programming um what are we starting to get in here, the spaces? So are we talking uh, bubble diagrams, relationship spaces? What's happening here in Module 4?
1: Well, here it starts to get much more fine-grained. So how do we look, if it's an existing building, how does that affect it? If it's a new building, how does that affect it relative to the requirements of the pro- of the project program? How do con- considerations around uh, structures or mechanical systems or views or solar exposures, all the things that we taught earlier in, in, in Module 1 and 2, how do these now come together to really show what's feasible in the project?
0: So, we're still not designing anything here, per se, but now we're starting to get a, a sense of, okay, what can we build here? What kind of uh, structure uh, can we build here? Is that, is that what we're getting? Yeah, but we're also
1: getting into the needs of the client themselves. What are their special things they need? You know, the client really wants a, a baby grand piano. Okay, um, well that that probably has some weight issues. Uh, how do we get it in the building, right? Would that, that that wouldn't fit through a three foot door? How do we actually? How do we bring it inside the building? Um, are they going to move it around, or is it going to stay put? Um, and then acoustically, there's probably some issues, right? They want to play it, so that, so the room around it needs to have certain requirements. Um, um, you know, uh, and the baby grand piano is big. So the room itself needs to be big enough so that, that you could actually get to it. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to cram. It. So even just mapping out a requirement like that, a need of the client that way, you already start to see how this starts to
0: shape all these other things and systems around it. This just reminded me of a story. Um, when I was in architecture school in Boston, um, it was my first first or second year uh, at Wentworth Institute Technology, actually. And we, a uh, second year, because we rented a house uh, near campus or an apartment. And, uh, I, you know, we were 20, so I thought it would be cool to, like, build a cool bar to put in the living room. So I went home to New Hampshire and, and made this really cool bar. It was probably like eight feet long and uh, well, wider than the door wide, which I'm going to tell you in a second. Built it, put it in the pickup truck, brought it in And it's beautiful varnished. It's all, you know, hand, wood, built. It doesn't fit in the doorway because the top is too wide. So we had to actually take the top off uh, and make, you know, holes in it, get it through the doorway, put the top back on, and then sort of patch it. But ruined this sort of beautiful varnished lacquered top, and all because I didn't think to measure the width of the door. (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: and and wouldn't, it, and wouldn't it be better architecturally, wouldn't
0: it be better to think about that
1: before you design something than when the, uh, the building's already under construction, everybody's on site, the baby grand piano shows up, and suddenly the contractor's yelling at you saying, well, how the hell am I supposed to get it in here? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah, that's what it is. And, and, and that all of that comes out in uh, this programming phase, which is why it is so important. And it's a lot of work. A properly done program... Uh, it's not, you know, uh, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And then the
1: more complex, complex the building type, obviously the,
0: the, you know, the, the more complex
1: the program, think of the program for a house for, for three or four people, uh, it still requires a lot of work, but it's, it's a lot, a lot less complex than let's say the program for, um, a scientific laboratory.
0: Right, and of course, you know, there's people and there's firms that specialize in just doing programs. Uh, Exactly. And and that could be a specialty for an architect. If somebody really loved to just do programming, uh, that could be their sort of specialty as an architect.
1: So uh, in Module 4, then, we're also addressing things like future growth, uh, what things require flexibility in the design, what things might be expanded later or converted later, or what are spaces that might be used in different ways Um, I worked on a house where the the client really wanted a, she's a professional pool billiards player, pool player and a professional ping pong player. Well, those things are big. They take up a lot of space. Not only do the tables take up space, but then you need clear space around it in order to play. And what we ended up doing was uh, finding this very high end table that is both a billiards table and a ping pong table. And it has like an attachment to it. And then building a closet and then putting rails on the floor so this thing, slot, you know, you open up these doors, this whole thing slides into this hidden closet and goes away so she could have a pro- proper living room when company comes over. Wow. It's pretty pretty elaborate. <laughs> uh, and was really the centerpiece of how we designed the whole dimension and size of the living room. It was really based on that.
0: Right. And that's in the programming phase is a perfect time to find that kind of information out that, hey, does this client have any unique uh needs you know that are out of the norm and that that certainly would be one and obviously that's an important part of uh her lifestyle so if you didn't know that obviously that's a huge problem there's one there's one section
1: in 4.0 that i really love um in part because i i deal with existing buildings quite a bit and have throughout my career so we have we have this section where we look when we look at existing buildings um can they be renovated? Can they be remodeled? Can they be repurposed? What are the factors that go into thinking about that? And so what we created here was a very, it's its only one page. And that's what I love about it, that it's so tight. Um, but here here are the 12 different considerations, here are the things you need to consider. So in terms of preservation, um, what, are, what are we worried about? Is it on the National Historic Register? Uh, does it need to be restored? Is Does the community around it expect it to be restored even if, the, even if you don't want it to be? In terms of demolition? What can we salvage from this building? What would it cost to demolish a building? Um, You know, there's another Frank Lloyd Wright story. He designed an office building in Buffalo called the Larkin Administration Building. And it it was built in 1909. And it was the first building to have an open floor plan for the offices, because back then they didn't do that kind of thing. And it was built of heavy masonry. And Mr. Wright took great pleasure in the fact that 50 years later when they tried to tear it down, uh, three different demolition crews went bankrupt trying to tear this building down because it was so <laughs>
0: it was so heavy.
1: It, <laughs> he really took great satisfaction in that. I bet he did.
0: Um, and then also in uh, Module 4, we're revisiting our case study. So tell me what we got here. I got, I got some green and I got some red. What's going on here?
1: Oh, yeah. So we um, – uh, module four itself is also the biggest section in the whole division. Um, you know, it's, it's more than a third of what the test is on. So it's where you're probably gonna spend most of your time, but it also shows how the other visions come together. So what we've done is we've included these um, case study diagrams here, again, that recalls what you saw at the beginning of the division. And so we've color coded them. So here we use green and red, stop and go, uh, right? Or uh, go you know go and stop I should say. So the green shows you uh, a case study diagram for the first floor and second floor. What's working based on the program? What's not? The red shows you um, here's what you missed. Here's here's why it's incorrect. And again, I think I think it was really us missing those old vignettes from ARE 4.0 with the beautiful pass-fail diagrams that we used to have. So we've kind of reincorporated it here. And I love that it's at the end of the division. So after you've gone through this whole division, here you get to see really it put into practice. And um, I really uh, suspect that most of you will probably print out just these pages and almost carry them around with you. So when you're commuting to work on the bus or the train or however you get to work, or when you're just sitting at, you know, having lunch, um, these would be a great invaluable resource just to keep uh, using and showing how showing how all this knowledge comes together.
0: It is. It's a great, um, it's a great uh, thumbnail of, of how the four modules do come together. Um, it encompasses the relationships of the spaces, it encompasses what's right, it encompasses uh, what's wrong, and we can only get to those diagrams by first doing everything else, really, that we've been talking about the, the previous hour. Right, and then Module Four also includes um, really a
1: lot of a lot of detailed stuff around assembling a program. So, how do vertical relationships stack? You know, are you stacking bathrooms or even vertical relationships such as escalators or stairwells? Why do they stack? What is what is important? Um, it's not just about saving money, but also in in the case of fire stairs, it's also about um, maintaining that that fire rating around the around the whole you know the whole tower. So looking at those vertical relationships. And then we look at those horizontal relationships. What are the ducts, the pipes, the plumbing, everything that needs to weave through the building horizontally? Why does it do that? How does it do that? And so we have a whole, uh, you know, great section around how to consider those things. And those really do affect how you start to lay out a a floor plan, you know, a basic rudimentary floor plan. I would say that, you know, my, my um, undergrad students, this is the biggest thing they have to learn really, you know, in terms of laying on a floor, you know, don't put a closet, you know, inside a kitchen. (laughs) And uh, just because maybe you've seen it before doesn't make it right. And don't, you know, don't put a bathroom on one floor here and then waste money for no reason putting it in a whole other place upstairs. Really maximize these relationships.
0: And what I like about these uh, bubble diagrams is uh, that they're pretty to look at. Uh, (laughs) But that we can do these for existing buildings as well. This is not just a new building tool. These are great tools for existing buildings.
1: Absolutely, um, which is why we included bubble diagrams that really embrace existing buildings. You know, I, I, I tend to think that we um, we romanticize architecture. We always think of it as a, a new building in a greenfield site with nothing else around it. But the the reality of architecture is is there there are buildings around us. There are existing buildings. We are keeping. A portion, if not a majority of that building, how do we work with them? So that's woven through everything we've done here to really prep you um, uh, really well, I think, for for the exam itself.
0: All righty. Well, we've been uh, about an hour, which I think is what what we like to do our audio commentaries uh, about because they still have or you still have uh, another four and a half hours of uh, listening to me in the Audio Companion. Uh, which is uh, another cool tool as part of the package. Uh, Before we depart, Eric, do you have anything else uh, you want to add to our programming and analysis?
1: If you haven't done programming yet in your professional life, don't let that defer you or or dissuade you from really getting into it here. I'm, I'm, you know, kind of my secret wish is yes, of course, I want you to pass, (laughs) pass the, this division of the exam, but I'm also hoping that this really instills in you a lifelong love of programming. I mean, I think you hear it in my voice that I'm, I get generally very excited about this. Um, You know, you're not going to hear that same enthusiasm in my voice when we start talking about, you know, contracts. Right, (laughs) you know, when we do this for construction evaluation, Um, uh, but also, you know, use it as a way to start opening up discussions with your boss, with your uh, project manager, um, about how you can get more involved in that process. As you can see, this really uh, shapes everything else that we do in design. How can you how can you solve any problems unless you really have clearly defined what that problem is?
0: And, and to your point, actually, I guess uh, another professional tip is uh, if, if you're not involved in programming, you know, much like trying to bug your boss to take you down to the building department, bug your boss to get you in programming and, and offer to do some uh, bubble diagrams, offer to do uh, something in addition to what they're already doing. Say, well, I want to look at this area more. Let me let let me bubble diagram this, you know volunteer that. They're going to let you do that. You just have to take the initiative.
1: And often these bubble diagrams have a very short shelf life, right? We sketch them quickly on trace. um, We scan them in. We email them to the clients. How's this look? Does this relationship right? And then once we get started on Especially design development and get move into the computer. those bubble diagrams just sit on a server somewhere. So poke around and ask to see ask to see the bubble diagrams for a project that you're already familiar with that you're working on, and you can really see how the information gathering and collection really started to influence those uh, bathroom details that you've been spending uh, forty hours a week on, right and how and how they're all connected.
0: Well, and actually, if you think about it, programming is could be a potential way for um, you to get uh, in with your boss um, it, as an example. Obviously, we're not going to be hired to you know, design some amazing facade. It's just not going to happen. The senior designers who have been there forever are going to be doing that. But we as young architects have as much a shot as anybody to just bubble diagram and lay, lay uh, a floor plan out or a section of an area and very quickly we can do a bubble diagram show it to our boss and they could say oh we didn't think of that adjacency that kind of that works you know um that's very easy for us to do that's accessible for us to do exactly the you know to me the history of architecture
1: and part of the reason why we study history the reason that your professors in school made you do precedence and research those things remember in studio you had to design a library and the first thing that the professor did was make you research old libraries that's really looking at the program. How did they solve the problem? Libraries of you know, the 17th century are very different than libraries of the 21st century. How are they different? And that all is really based on programming.
0: All righty. Long live the bubble diagram. Yeah. <laughs> all right. My name is David Doucette, and uh, on behalf of Eric Corey-Fried, that is going to wrap it up for our uh, programming and analysis audio commentary. Again, my name is David Doucette and I will see you inside the audio companion for programming and analysis.